Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. We are now joined uh, by Joe Wiz, who is uh, our gambling aficionado here on the station. Joe, thanks for uh, popping on with us this afternoon. I know it's a busy day for you with all the different spots, but uh, I appreciate you giving us some time. Gordon, anytime you call, I am there. I answer on the first <laughs> ring. I appreciate that. You're the one person who does. All right, that's great. All right, so we got we got a lot of stuff today, and, and we're broadcasting here from the FanDuel uh, Sportsbook here at Mohegan Sun, so you'd be the natural person to uh, to place the call to. We got the NCAA tournament tonight. We got the two games to decide the national title game. What are you looking at? Let's start with the first game, I guess, with uh, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State. What do you look? I, I think the line is two at the last I saw. What are you expecting from this game? Yeah, we take a look at it. We're just about an hour away, 6.09 tip-off from NRG Stadium in Houston, Gordon. Uh, line right now is at 2.5, I see, and the total okay. has dropped a little bit. It's down to 130.5. It was 132 uh, just a couple of hours ago. I think people are jumping in on the San Diego State uh, Aztecs bandwagon with the total. They've gone under, Gordon, 12 straight times. This is what's been – that's the talk of the Aztecs under. 12 straight and 14 of the last 15 games have gone under the total. And when you take a look at Florida Atlantic, I mean, all they do is win. 35-3 and three record, Gordon. They've won 11 in a row. The last time they lost was back on February 16th. That's been a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And and, they, and they're a hard team to root against, right? I mean, you know, they're on like one of the most ma- – I mean, think about if, FA, if FAU wins a national title. That is one that uh, I don't think anybody – for all the brackets that are filled out, I don't think anybody outside of maybe an alum of FAU has them winning the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you know what's crazy, Gordon? One of these two teams, either the Aztecs or the Owls, will be in the national championship yeah. game. And as crazy as it sounds, but it's it's been a Cinderella story. And that's what I love about March Madness. We have San Diego State who comes in with a record of 31-6. and six. I mean, they just beat Creighton. They beat uh, number one overall seed Alabama, 71-64. I mean, head coach uh, Brian Dutcher has done a phenomenal job here. And it's all with defense. Gordon, if this is a low-scoring game, San Diego State, it'll fit right into their uh, perspective. If it's a high-scoring game, Florida Atlantic uh, likes to score a lot, and they put up 79 points up against Kansas State. They beat a good Tennessee team, and Tennessee, similar to the San Diego State type of style, where they like to grind it out. Um, And it's going to be an interesting game because Florida Atlantic, constant ball screening. They have the high pick and rolls. Head coach Dusty May has done a phenomenal job. And, uh, you know, one of the keys to this game here is seven foot one Golden. No one talks about him, but um, how effective he is going to be against the San Diego State Aztec defense might determine it. I'm expecting a low scoring affair here. Uh, I lean towards the Aztecs in this game, Gordon. I'm doing San Diego State. Those of you that are betting, um, I'm not even interested in laying any points here. The line's two and a half. I'm doing the money line. This might be Similar to the Creighton game we saw last Sunday where it was a one-point game. Uh, I expect this to go right down to the wire, but I'm expecting the Aztecs to advance to Monday's national championship game. All right, we're talking with Joe Wiz here on the Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. So uh, game number two, it feels like, and maybe this is just from where we are and the storyline surrounding UConn, it feels like the, the, the betting public, or at least the, the fans, uh, see this as UConn's tournament to lose. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it is. I mean, there isn't many people betting um, on on Miami, Florida right now. UConn is the favorite to win it right now with the four teams left over. 
Gordon, they started out the season at 14-0, and then they hit a little bit of a slump. But since then, uh, they've won 13 of their last 15 games. They're 12-3 and against the spread. Um, Miami is not getting any respect whatsoever, Gordon. They beat Texas. It was a very good team. Uh, they were down by double digits the whole first half against the Longhorns. They came back and won that game, 88-81. They beat a good Houston team. Houston has a very good defense. They beat them 89-75. Their toughest game might have been against Drake in the opening round. They trailed and then with few minutes remaining in the game, they were able to overcome a deficit there. UConn, they're loaded. Jordan Hawkins, there was some talk about him not being 100% with some stomach issues. But, uh, you know, I'm not interested in laying five and a half with UConn. There's just too many people. The line has not moved. It's been five and a half. Um, Eileen Small, I'm taking the points with Miami, but I'm expecting a high-scoring affair. In this game here, I prefer to take the total, looking for both teams to go up and down the court, because we know the Huskies can score. They've scored 82 points against Gonzaga, 88 against Arkansas, and Jim Larinaga and Miami, Florida, they're like an NBA team. All they do is score over 80 points in the last three games. We're talking with Joe Wiz here on Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM. Uh, the, the one thing I love about the tournament and, and the one reason why I'm a little leery about UConn is, you know, Joe, whoever wins the tournament, they'll always have that one game that comes down the street. Nobody blows through the tournament the way that UConn has so far. So that game is coming. There's only two options for it to come. So that's the one thing that makes me a little leery about UConn tonight. I think if UConn gets by Miami, um, they'll be heavily favored over Florida Atlantic um, or uh, San Diego State here. Um, this game is being played at NRG Stadium. It's, big, it's a big, you know, sometimes teams have a tough time adjusting to that level. As you had mentioned, UConn has not been tested. Ironically, Gordon, their, first, their biggest test might have been the opening round game against Iona. They beat Iona 87-63, but they trailed by 10 at halftime to Rick Pitino and the Iona Gales before they pulled away in the second half. Since then, UConn has done nothing but pull away. But listen, don't dismiss this Florida team. They have four players averaging 13 points per game, um, led by Isaiah Wong, who's 16 points per game. Jordan Miller, 15 points per game. If this gets into a shootout, um, this game could, UConn could have a problem here. UConn's going to need their defense to show up and shut down Miami Hurricanes because Texas has a good defense. The Cougars had one of the top defenses all of college basketball, and they gave up 89 points to Miami. Uh, okay, so let's move over to uh, some NFL stuff because over-unders kind of came out this week, uh, you know, with FanDuel and everything else. So um, is there one or two of them that kind of jump out to you? It always feels like this is an interesting time of year already looking ahead to the football, even pre-draft. Yeah, bet against the Jets under eight, eight under nine and a half wins. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I know everyone's all excited uh, about uh, Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets, but, you know, th- this AFC East is going to be very competitive this year, and all things considered, if Rodgers does come back, the post to total for the amount of wins is nine and a half, and um, I know that's, you know, it seems like it's going to be an easy task with Rodgers, but uh, me, I'm not interested in, in uh, playing that many uh, uh, wins for the Jets, even with Rodgers at the quarterback here. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the Jets fans think that once get their Rodgers that they're going to get a ticket to the Super Bowl. It won't be that easy. Um, that one, it would be under for me. I would go under nine and a half runs, that, under nine and a half wins, excuse me, in that one particular uh, event. All right, we're talking with Joe Wiz. Uh, some baseball stuff. Obviously, the season has gotten underway. I think, uh, did Stanton just go deep? Stanton, home run, his first of the season. Anything that jumps out to you here as well, we get into the baseball season that you're, you're, you're hammering? 
Well, you know, right now the World Series odds, we got the Astros right now who are the favorites. We got the Dodgers at plus 700. The Yankees are the third choice, plus 700. The Mets are plus 900. Them odds are probably going to drop with all of that stuff here. The team that I watch out for in the World Series uh, to maybe get to the World Series is the Toronto Blue Jays. They have an explosive offense here, and uh, I know everyone's anointing the Yankees to win the American League East, but not so fast. Um, I think that Toronto will challenge the Yankees in the American League East, um, and uh, St. Louis, they're, they're uh, the World Series plus 2,200. They're favored to win out there in the National League. And um, I think of the uh, cards, uh, they already had an injury uh, with Wilson Contreras, their catcher. But if St. Louis um, at plus 2,200 uh, getting that value at the uh, first day of April to win the World Series, they will be a dark horse team for me. I, I put some money on them as well to get to the World Series and possibly uh, maybe even win it all. Yeah, it's funny you say that everybody's expecting the Yankees. I, you know, as a Yankee fan, it feels like um – that this year, the, the the expectations are actually diminished some. Like I, I don't get the feeling the like the last few years, absolutely Yankees, you know, got to win the World Series, got to win the World Series. This year, I, I feel like people are, are kind of uh, uh, underrating them a little bit. No. Well, you know, Gordon, everybody, all the Yankee fans are second getting beat up by the Astros, right? Yeah. So it's like you no know, waving the white flag. I know I am. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think that the Yankees are a good team. I mean, obviously, Garrett Cole pitched well. And if the Yankees stay healthy, I mean, this, health is such a big ish, issue. It's our first day, you know, first day of April here. But um, I, I think that the Yankees are still favored to win the American League East. But my team to, to uh, cause some problems there would be the Toronto, um, only because I feel that Toronto, um, they're pitching, and I think their offense might – we saw what they did against St. Louis in game one. I think that Toronto might challenge the Yankees. But um, the Yankees are still favored to come out of the East um, uh, um, you know, to win the AL East, but not by much. Um, I like Toronto in the American League East, and uh, it's going to be a great season. I'm really excited about it, and uh, uh, I talk about it on my show every Friday. My, the fine line, my show is on on Fridays at midnight, and I'm also on at Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., so hopefully people can tune in and uh, I can make some money for people uh, every week. All right, so let's talk Masters then. Uh, it's coming up, what, Thursday, right? So uh, who, who jumps off? I know Scotty Scheffler is, is one that everybody is expecting, and it feels like John Rahm is always one of those guys at the top. Uh, is, there, is there a guy that you've identified for you that, uh, that you like the odds on? You know, with golf, it's crazy because there's so many opportunities with golf. You can pick five or six uh, golfers that are really good and then all you have to do is just come up with one of them that win because there's so many opportunities with the Masters. Um, and, you know, I'm looking, you know, with the, with the Valero right now, you know, you have uh, Patrick Rogers right now, uh, pl plus 188. Uh, you have Corey Connors at plus 250 and Kuchar uh, at plus 275. I had made some mo a little bit of money on uh, Chris Kirk right now. He's at plus 2,500. So that one's going to be tough to, get, uh, to overcome right now. But uh, that's what I like about, about, about stuff like that. With the Masters, anything's possible. But Scheffler would be my choice to win it all. I don't like playing chalk, but you're still getting good value with one of the best golfers in the world, perhaps the best golfer in the world. Joe, thanks right for now, a few minutes, man. I appreciate it. And, know, of course, Sheffield the fine line. Yes. Yeah, the fine line, midnight, Friday night, and then again, uh, 8 a.m. on Saturday. So um, I appreciate uh, you popping on with us, man. Talk soon. Thank you very much. Go Yankees. There <laughs> you go. Joe Wiz uh, and his, uh, his expertise on uh, everything betting. Coming up, we'll get back to the phone calls. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.
Obi Toppin's performance as uh, he got 19 minutes, scored 12 points, to, did not to really play. I don't think he played at all in the second or fourth quarters, but, uh, you know, given where Obi's minutes generally are, they're not just all of a sudden going to slot him in and have him play 30 minutes a night. But uh, I, we'll get to Obi in a second here. We'll get back to the phone calls at one 800 919 ESPN. I did want to hit some baseball stuff. Mets have tied up their game against the Marlins as they play in the second down there. Uh, Omar Navarez with the uh, base hit to uh, score a run. So the Mets uh, tying things up there and um, certainly want to get a win there behind uh, Tyler McGill, who is on the hill for the Mets today. And, uh, you know, when you take a look at the Mets season, uh, like the idea of getting off to a good start. Everybody wants to get off to a good start. But there's almost no way that the Mets will feel like they're off to a good start because they play in a division with the Braves who are just so, I mean, I don't know what word to do, historical in terms of winning that division in the ways that they did. Two years ago, they're, they're under 500 for as long as they are. They're able to finally put it together after the All-Star break and, and get moving. Uh, and then last year, of course, uh, it was at the beginning of the season, Mets with a 10-and-a-half game lead. The Braves are dead. The Mets are going to win this division going away. And then all of a sudden, back from the dead come the Braves, chase down the Mets, and win the division in the final day. So it's almost like there's no way to really feel there'll, – there'll be no point in this year, no matter how the Mets season goes, I think that Mets fans will feel comfortable with where the team is at. Even if you have – you know, are you going to have more than a 10-game lead over the Braves? You just watched them this past year chase you down from that. So I don't think that there's any way that the Mets fan is going to feel all that great in the course of the season. But we'll see if they can uh, get a win today, tie things up uh, against the, uh, the Marlins – down in Miami. And then you have the Yankee story, which um, they've given up a run in that game. Now 2-1 Yankees as uh, they play in the fourth inning at the stadium. Jacques Peterson with his first of the season against uh, Clark Schmidt, who is, uh, who's done the job so far. I mean, a lot of pressure on Clark Schmidt as a result of all the injuries. Uh, and as I say that, the Giants have just taken a 3-2 lead. So, so much for <laughs> Clark Schmidt doing the job. Um, I'll get caught up in that Brandon Crawford with the home run there as long with Jock Peterson. So uh, all of a sudden the day does not look quite so good for, for Clark Schmidt, who, you know, a lot of pressure on him getting a chance to be part of this rotation with the injuries uh, to, you know, what, 60% of the starting rotation if you want to include Frankie Montas. But uh, Yankees uh, had the early lead, Giancarlo Stanton with the, the home run there, his first of the season. And, you know, when you line up the people on the Yankees where you talk about, well, you really need to get more out of this person, you really need to get more out of that guy. Giancarlo Stanton, it's amazing. For a guy who has been such a lightning rod in his time with the Yankees, I don't think if you ask most Yankee fans who's a guy that's got to step up this year uh, and who really has to perform for them to be good, Giancarlo Stanton clearly is a guy who has had a bounce-back year. Now, when you made that deal to bring him here, uh, generally when he does not perform, it's because of the injuries, because of all the time missed. Generally, when he plays, he produces. And if you look last year, well, he hit 31 home runs and 110 games. But you take a look at all the, all the, the other stats, the 211, his batting average falling off a cliff, his on-base percentage falling off a cliff, and even his slugging percentage, the lowest slugging percentage for him ever in, in a season. And this is where you get a little, this was always going to be the concern of that contract. At some point, that contract, because it is so long, is at some point going to get ugly. And a big bulky slugger who's primarily a DH, I know he plays the outfield and the Yankees wanted to play the outfield, but at some point that contract is, is going to get ugly and you just hope that it's a lot later than it is sooner. Like when they made that deal to 
to, to bring him on board after getting to within a game of the World Series the year before, the idea I thought was, hey, this is the guy who's going to help you get over the top, and they've not gotten over the top. And at some point, those contracts become albatrosses. The Yankees know that quite well. And for a guy who is signed through 2028, that is still a long time away. So, it, yes, it's partly you want him to be healthy, and generally when he is healthy, he produces. The most important stat for Stanton is games played. If he plays games, he usually hits. But it does have to be a little bit of a concern based on how much he fell off the table in the second half last year. And, and, and his age at 33, is this where it's going to start to all of a sudden uh, kind of go downhill? Uh, so an important home run for him. Get him off to a good start. And that top half of the Yankee lineup is, is uh, the Yankee lineup is very top heavy. Uh, what you can get out of the bottom half between Cabrera, between Volpe, between the catcher who was ever catching on that given day, you don't expect to get too much offense out of that position. It's primarily a defense position. And that's why when we mentioned earlier so much about uh, Josh Donaldson, that's a spot fifth in the order where you need production and certainly more production than you got a year ago. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on the Yankees. Hopefully things turn around uh, the other way as quickly as they turned around there as they trail the Giants over at the stadium 3-2 to two as they play in the uh, top of the fourth. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention about uh, Obi Toppin um, with the Knicks. We kind of opened the show talking about them and, and how last night was kind of a, a group effort all, all the way around. That's what you're going to need now for as long as Julius Randle is, is out of the lineup. And you've seen guys step up certainly quickly in the last month or two has really kind of taken charge of that second unit. It has been sensational closing games. Quentin Grimes has been fantastic. Mitchell Robinson has been a monster on the board, certainly was last night. You just want to keep him healthy. And Josh Hart, that's been another part of it. If you're looking to make up for the loss of Randall, I think you, you have to be looking at two areas. One is Obi Toppin, who has been the toast of Nick fans. They have forever wanted to see, since this guy was the eighth pick in the draft, finally get an opportunity. And, and it just shows you that when they made that pick eighth in the draft, they did not expect Julius Randle to become the player that he became that following season. And they've been riding that since, since that point. And, and look, it's, been, it's worked. Uh, he has certainly been a very good player, despite last year and the downturn, despite that first year where it seemed like every Nick fan wanted him out of town. He has been a productive Nick. Uh, and there's a reason why you continue to ride with him. So we've been waiting forever for Obi Toppin to get his, his chance and get significant minutes to, to make an impact, but now it's here. Uh, it it kind of feels like that, that the ship had kind of sailed on Obi, but this is now finally his chance. It's five games and whatever you get in the playoffs, and hopefully he's able to ramp up and be productive and not kind of float through games. I think he's better prepared now than when he got here with the three-point shot and maybe... It doesn't feel like he is – it felt like when he first got here, he was searching. Uh, it felt like he was so concerned that if anything went wrong, he was going to get stuck on the bench because when anything went wrong, he got stuck on the bench. But now they, they kind of need him, but the rules still apply. If you're not productive out there, Tibbs is going to, to put you right back where you were. So this, this is his best opportunity maybe, and this might be his last opportunity to show that he can contribute to this team so that's one guy who's got to step up. And then the other one who has stepped up at times but has been very inconsistent throughout the course of the season, that would be R.J. Barrett. You've got to get some consistency out of him. This has been a hugely disappointing year for him. 
based on the fact that he, you know, came in, finally got paid, and you finally thought for sure this is, you know, he's going to step up and you're okay. I don't need to trade for Donovan Mitchell because I don't want to give up R.J. Barrett. The pain of that trade was not only losing out and seeing what Donovan Mitchell was doing, it was that R.J. Barrett has taken this major step back this year uh, and has just not found any level of consistency whatsoever. So hopefully this is now the time. It's now or never for R.J. Barrett to finally show in what could be a lost season. If he does not all of a sudden find some level of consistency, there's no way about it. So far, it's been a lost season. But the beauty of the playoffs and a playoff series is you can turn around the narrative very quickly. And he's going to have that chance in the opening round, and he's got to prove that he is worth all the things that the Knicks have said about him and all the, the, the contract that they've given him and that he is going to live up to that billing as a third pick in the draft. I'm tired of hearing about, well, you know, he's only 22. You know, he's, he's, this is his fourth year in the league. It's time to step up, and it's, it's time to find some efficiency and some consistency, which he has not been able to do all season. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Coming up, we'll talk a little college basketball with Zach Braziller of the New York Post. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. We wanted to talk a little college basketball with Zach Braziller who uh, covers it for the New York Post. Nobody does it better than him, and uh, he's nice enough to give us a couple minutes this afternoon. Zach, what's going on, my man? What's up, Gordon? Thanks for the uh, kind words. How are you? I'm good. Uh, let's start. It feels like UConn. I was mentioning this earlier. It feels like this is UConn's tournament to lose. I don't know. Maybe that's just because of where we're located and everything else and the, and the, and the Danny Hurley story. Is that how you see it when it comes to this Final Four? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, they're, they're the overwhelming favorite. They've been the best team in this tournament. They've won four of their tournament games. They've all been blowouts. They're, yeah, it's their tournament to lose. They, they're, I think they get a tougher game tonight than they get Monday. Miami is very good. Miami's got great guards. I, I think UConn finds a way tonight and then should cruise Monday. The one thing that concerned me is is that they've not been really challenged. You know, there's usually that one game that comes down to the final two minutes. They have not had that game yet, and obviously there's only two games that they can play left. So I'm, I'm wondering when that game is going to come because it, it always feels like whoever wins the tournament, they always have that one game. Yeah, you're right. There's no question about it. You know, the, 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 the closest they came was the first game against Iona where they were yeah. down a few points at halftime and, and then blew blue Iona's doors off after halftime. Yeah, I, I do think tonight they get some game pressure, I, um, especially if, if Miami can get that game up and down with its, with its really good guards. I do think Miami can give UConn some trouble. Jordan Hawkins under the weather. He's going to play. We'll see what kind of shape he's in. He didn't practice yesterday. I just think UConn's size and depth is going to wear Miami down at the end. And, and then they get, you know, either San Diego State or Florida Atlantic, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, right? Um, you mentioned the Jordan Hawkins situation. How much of a concern would you think that would be? You know, I think it's a slight concern. I, UConn does have great depth. They could go to Joseph, Joey Calcaterra. They could go to Aline, who have both been very good off the bench in this tournament. I don't think it's a huge issue, but look, he's one of their best players. He's a projected first-round pick. He's a terrific shooter, a terrific scorer. And, you know, we'll see what, what, what he can do here tonight. I, I, he's going to play. There's no doubt. It's what, you hear, what, you've, what I've heard. Now the question is, is he, you know, 100%? Is he 70? Is he 60? We'll, we'll see tonight. 
but yeah, I mean, look, if if UConn doesn't have uh, Jordan Hawkins at full capacity, that completely ch- that does change their offensive dynamics. We're talking with Zach Brazilla, who covers college basketball for the New York Post. Uh, are there any lessons to be learned? You know, everybody's making a mention about, you know, there's no blue bloods this year. All the number one seeds were out very early. Are there really any lessons to be learned from this tournament, or is this year's tournament just kind of an outlier with the way things have worked out? You know, I, I do think it's an outlier. I think everyone, you know, you're hearing a lot about, well, this is what the tournament's going to be. It's one year. Well, look at what we had last year with right. you had Kansas, Duke, Carolina. You know, I do think the – you know, the COVID year, so that, that fifth year a lot of guys have this year. So you do have some guys who are older. San Diego State has a really old team. Florida Atlantic's a group that's been together. But, look, it, it is, I do think it's that way. Look, if Purdue doesn't, you know, somehow lose to FDU, they probably beat Florida Atlantic in the second round. And, and I think it, you also have to bear in mind, all year this was a year where people said it's going to be wide open. There, You didn't really know who's going to win it all. And that's really what's happened. And the other thing, UConn really wasn't a force. They had this drought in January where they lost six of eight. But if you forget that, and that was a, a, a tough stretch in the schedule where they're playing a lot of those really good teams in the Big East, they've been really a one seed outside of maybe a, a, a two-week slump. So while they're a four seed and people are going to say it's completely you know, up in the air here with this Final Four, I mean, UConn's the heavy favorite. They're really should have been a three seed in my opinion and they've played like a one seed outside of a few weeks so we end up, we might end up seeing a, a dominant team win it all anyway well, we're talking with zach braziller who covers uh, college basketball for the new york post okay so the first match of florida atlantic uh, against san diego state has fau uh, seen a team that defends like san diego state or are they in for a, a bit of a rude awakening here tonight no, I mean, Tennessee is a terrific defensive team, and they really overwhelmed Tennessee in the last 10 minutes in the Sweet 16. I think FAU wins. I, I just think they're better offensively. I think they have more weapons. They can answer some of San Diego State's size and strength. You know, the one thing that um, Kansas State coach Jerome Tang said after they lost to FAU was the one thing FAU has that a lot of teams don't have is every guy out there, you know, is a weapon. Every guy out there can play, make, can shoot, can score. They don't have stars, but you cannot, you know, sag off any of their guys. You cannot say, well, this guy's not going to hurt us. All the guys they put out there can hit a three. They can create. They can do, do something to hurt you. And I think that's one thing that is really different about them than a lot of these teams at this tournament. I think FAU is still somehow underrated. This is a team that won 35 games. They won at Florida State. They wanted Florida to make that. And, look, they've been really, really good here. They overwhelmed Tennessee. They really outplayed Kansas State. And now here they are. I think, I think we're getting a UConn FAU title game. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. And um, it, it, it seems like with the Aztecs, at this time of the year, you just kind of look for weaknesses, right? And it just feels like their, their weakness is, is a pretty important one, which is kind of scoring. You know, down the stretch of these games, you have to be able to score – and while they are, you know, obviously the higher seed and, and people know that the name San Diego State, it just feels like that's a, a pretty big Achilles heel to have going into a matchup like this. Yeah, I mean, their leading score, Matt Bradley, has really struggled in this tournament, especially in the last three games. They shooting 22%, and they've gotten away with it in part because Creighton really couldn't throw the ball in the ocean from three. You, you want to give San Diego State some of the credit for that, but I think part of that was Creighton just, just had a really bad shooting night. I I agree with you. I think San Diego State was fortunate to get past Creighton. 
and I don't, I don't think they can. I don't think they can win this game if Bradley, who's the only guy who averages double figures for them in scoring, doesn't find his game tonight. I, I wrote that in today's paper. That to me, he's one of the big keys for San Diego State to win this game. Is is Bradley, um, you know, having a good game here? All right, so uh, the other big story in college basketball, locally, obviously, is St. John's uh, landing Rick Pitino and uh, kind of shaking things up. And, and it feels like, as, a, as an alum of St. John's, Zach, that it feels like the last few times that St. John's has gone looking for a coach, they did not go the obvious route. They always had to go, like, outside the box, and it's, it's not really worked out. What was different this time where the obvious route was the route that they took? The president. You know, Brian Shanley was was helped really rebuild that Providence program. He's a sports guy. He he grew up on the Big East. He's he's the reason. You know, he, mm-hmm. he had told me at the press conference he, he was looking for his Ed Cooley, a really young guy that he felt could build this program and that guy was not out there. And he said, you know, if I don't talk to Rick Petino about this job, I'm gonna regret it. And they look he almost hired Petino twelve years ago at Providence before he hired Ed Cooley. Petino ended up staying at Louisville and he said, look, we need this this program needs a major jolt, and there's only one guy that's going to provide it. I understand he's 70, but it was a no-brainer. You're going to have money people coming to this program with name, image, and likeness that's so important. The brand is going to change. You're going to have they're going to be playing more games at the Garden. The it's just you know every every single person you talk to has no doubt that he's going to win here. Now, how long is he going to be here? How long is he going to coach? He is 70, but to me, there's no question. This was the right move, and there's just incredible buzz. I mean, I'm writing more stories about recruiting right. than I ever have, and it, yep, and it's just, it's just completely changed. I mean, already, and I just, you know, I think it was the right move at the right time, and you know, we'll see how it works out. They obviously need to bring in a whole, you know, a ton of new players, but I just. I think it was finally the school made the right decision. The reason they made the right decision was the new president, Brian Shannon. Uh, and you said, it, the, like, there's a sense of optimism surrounding the program that, uh, I mean, 20 years maybe? I, I'm not sure. It's been a long time since there's been this sense of optimism. So if St. John's is back, how long do you think it takes until, you know, we're, they're back in the tournament before they're a factor in the Big East again? How long do you think that that takes? I mean... <clears throat> You got to see what kind of roster they put together, but I, I think they're in the mix to make the tournament next year. Um, with the way the transfer portal works, with name, image, and likeness, they're going to get some really good transfers. They're going to get some kids right away. They brought back their best player, center Joel, Joel Soriano. I think they're a team that's, you know, somewhere in the four to six range in the league next year. Now, look, the league's getting much better here. Ed Cooley to Georgetown's going to improve Georgetown. Bill Nova's going to be better next year. Their star player, Justin Moore, just now is coming back. Creighton is going to be good. Xavier's going to be good. UConn's going to kind of becoming a monster again. But I expect this team to be in the middle of the pack of the league next year and have a shot to make the tournament. You know, Rick hasn't lost his fastball. Look at UConn's first four games of this tournament. Iona's the only team that's really given them any trouble, you know, which kind of speaks volumes of that Iona team and just how well coached they were. We're talking with Zach Braziller here, who covers college basketball for the New York Post. So who are some of the names? There's obviously going to be a lot of change. It seems like a lot of the players of this year's team, they're already leaving. Who are some of the names that we should be on the lookout if you're a St. John's fan that hoping that they, that they land? So you have, you know, there are a few transfers that are heavily in the mix for you. You have Chris Ledlum uh, from Harvard. He's a Brooklyn guy. You have T.J. Bamba from Washington State, the high-scoring wing from the Bronx. 
Um, they're I you know star or star guard and Iona Walker Clayton Jr. is deciding in about a week. He's between St. John's and Florida. He was the max of the year. Those right now are the known priorities they have. They're also look they're they're looking to bring in um, Boogie Flan. He's a star guard at Stepanak High School. He's going to be a senior next year. He's a top fifteen player. They've already been up there. They're looking to get in the mix with him. Look, it, I, this program is going to be run so differently than it has for the better part of two decades. He's, he came here to win. He came here to get to a Final Four, and that's how they're going to operate. It's, you know, if you're a St. John's fan, I think it's music to your ears that they're finally now in the business of, of you know, we're about winning and not just about competing. Zach, thanks for a few minutes today, and enjoy the games tonight. Hey, my pleasure. Have, uh, have, have, it was fun have, uh, being on, man. All right. Appreciate it, Zach. Uh, that is Zach Braziller, who uh, covers college basketball for the New York Post and is all over, of course, the St. John's story. And, and look, with St. John's, it feels like it's, it's kind of been a rebirth now. It, it's just uh, naming the coach. They don't uh, have a team together yet. I'm sure it's going to take a little while. And, and at Rick Pitino's age, that is a little bit of a concern at 70. How long can he coach? Uh, but... When you find, you know, it just feels like for so long at St. John's when there was a, a, an opening in head coach, there was an obvious choice like Danny Hurley one year or Bobby Hurley one year or there was, you know, there's, a, there's been other ones along the way and they would never go that obvious route and, and they would always kind of go outside the box and it would never work out the way that it probably would have worked out if they had landed the name coach. This time, there's no question, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but they certainly landed the name coach in Rick Pitino. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Coming up, we'll get back to your phone calls. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. 